0: John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, page 1023 in your pew Bibles. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, this is the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. and this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. in a reading of God's word. Let's pray together. The Lord our God, we thank you so much for your word and the richness of it, the perfection of it, the impact of it. The Lord, tonight we pray that as we've moved from your word being read to your word being preached, that we would receive from you. We humbly ask that you would speak through the preacher by sending your Holy Spirit in a special way. Lord, that you would be with each one of us as we listen tonight, that we would receive from you as well. Minister to us, we humbly ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's focus was on God's love for us, and I trust that you were encouraged, and pray that you would be encouraged tonight as well. Maybe a little bit of conviction, a little more conviction tonight than this morning uh, but um, we trust that God's word does do its work. The love of God should be evident in his people. In fact it is evident in his true people. Proper response to the love of God for us is our love for him. As we just read we love him because he first loved us and a proper response to love for God is love for our neighbor. And in the Bible, our neighbor is anyone that we encounter, basically. First, I want us to consider our response to God's love for us. I don't know about you, but this morning, simply just reading this passage about God's love and considering all its implications warmed my heart, gave me great comfort, and was an encouragement to me. And I pray that we would have that same kind of sweet comfort tonight, knowing that we're, we're loved by God, that we're loved by God. In fact, being loved by God should should shift our affections our affections when we're outside of christ or for the world love of god for us should shift our affections toward him now when i say affections i'm speaking of something far deeper than just emotions but the whole bent of our focus in life the whole sense of our inner being and its focus should be towards glorifying god but our affections are never absent of emotions In fact, I would suggest that all of us should experience at least some some emotion in response to God's love for us. We're all wired differently. Some of us are more tender-hearted than others. Some of us weep easily. Some of us don't weep at all. But it seems to me that anyone who truly knows that they're loved by the infinite God will have some level of emotional response, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're We're beings that are created with emotions. How can you not respond to the love of God, especially expressed through the sending of his own son and his own son's willing sacrifice on the cross for us? Even the most stoic, stoically wired person should melt at that very thought. Think of the fact that a woman came to Jesus weeping at his feet she understood his love for her and the extent of his forgiveness i think at some point we all need to be there at least at some point if not daily at the feet of jesus recognizing his deep love for us and so the whole bent of our affections even our emotions but the love of god for us should also instill in us assurance Assurance, I think, has many different aspects to it. There is the intellectual aspect of assurance that we can intellectually understand, even though it really is beyond our understanding, that God really does love us. We're told in scripture how he expresses that for us, and many different to us in many different ways. So there's the intellectual. We can understand it, at least believe it. And then there's the theological aspect, that God being love has that full capacity to love even sinners like us but then there's that experiential aspect and that's what waxes and wanes for us one day the love of God might overwhelm us with a sweet assurance and the next day because of our sinfulness and because of our lack of trust in him and our lack of knowledge of who he is we can have almost no assurance that we belong to him. But God is faithful. Whether it's understanding things intellectually, theologically, or experientially, we do have to understand that it is all spiritual. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Part of the very work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not only transforming us, and making us the Lord's, applying the merits of Christ to us, but also assuring us that that what he promised us is true. Even though we can't always put our finger on it, we turn to passages like this and we're reassured. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. here it is. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Notice that Paul calls the Holy Spirit there the spirit of adoption. The very one who brings us into the family of God is the very one who instills in our heart that assurance that we long for. And so the response, first of all, to God's love certainly will be being melted and having affections towards him and experience some level of assurance, but also Uh, an attitude of great gratitude thanksgiving for what he's done for us adoration appreciation even contentment in the way he provides for us and as we grow in the lord having an ever-increasing appreciation ever-increasing love for him daily expressing that appreciation that thanksgiving will help us to grow in our love for him and isn't that what we all want is to learn how to love god more To love God more. But when all is said and done, if we want to express our love to God, certainly do so with praise. Certainly do so with with joyful and sanctified hearts. But when all is said and done, the best expression of our love for him is joyful obedience. Jesus puts it this way, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't ever say, and God never says, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The principle is seen on the mountain when Moses is given the law. It's after God delivers his people. That, that very pattern is, shows up in, in our catechisms where the law only comes after salvation. Anyone who desires to obey God ought to do so because of God's love for us, not because we think that he'll love us more. He can't love us more. If we're in Christ, he can't love us more. He loves us through his son. He loves us through his son's merits, and he loves his son perfectly, and therefore he loves his people perfectly. John says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, And his commandments are not burdensome. So I would suggest that if the summary of the commandments is to love God and to love our neighbor, it behooves us to make pursuing those things our priority. In fact, I would say that according to Scripture, that is the priority of every true believer. Because if we're given the spirit of salvation, if we're given salvation then our whole bent is to love God and ought to be more and more to love our neighbor. You can't separate the two. I'm going to read two different quotes from John, Jonathan Edwards. I think his book called uh, Charity and Its Fruits, or he would say to explain things when he talks about charity, he's talking about agape love, is one of the finest books out there. Uh, both encouraging, but also very convicting. But he's suggesting, as Scripture suggests, that loving God and loving his people and loving our neighbors is a part of who we are, who we've been made into, who we're meant to be in Christ. So in charity and its fruits, speaking of the result and therefore the evidence of true conversion, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, here's what he writes. Christian love, both to God and man, is wrought through the heart by the same work of the Spirit, There are not two works of the Spirit of God, one to infuse a spirit of love to God and the other to infuse a spirit of love to men, but in producing one, the Spirit produces the other also. In the work of conversion, the Holy Spirit renews the heart by giving it a divine temper. And it is one and the same temper thus wrought in the heart that flows out in love both to God and man. There's not one conversion of the soul of faith and another conversion to love to God and another to humility and another to repentance and still another to love to man. But all are produced by one and the same work of the spirit and are the result of one and the same conversion or change of the heart. And this proves that all the graces are united and linked together as being contained in that one and the same new nature that is given to us in regeneration. And so, in other words, when we're saved, when we're truly converted, we are converted with a bent towards loving God and loving neighbor, where before conversion, as one of the catechism says, our bent was towards hating God and hating our neighbors. It's a part of our conversion. Now, I would suggest that this morning's passage, or the things that I highlighted in this very same passage, the love of God for us, absorbing the love of God for us, though it may be beyond our understanding, is something that we relish, something that we enjoy doing, something that should, in fact, be easy to do. And then the first part of this evening's message, at least least our love for God, is, is something that we can reasonably understand and pursue, though we fall short, loving God for all he does and responding to him with our affections and with our desire to obey him, is at least reasonable but the second half that we have to deal with tonight is the hard part that horizontal love for neighbor i believe that that's where most of us struggle but we have to remember as john says here and as edwards highlighted that they're inseparable you can't love god and hate your neighbor you can't love god and hate your brothers and sisters in christ it simply doesn't work and if you're experiencing that it's time to To repent of any of that. We have failures of love, don't we? Even the people that we love, we don't love adequately. And then we have people who we might just not like, and we have a hard time loving them, and then there are people who slight us, and we have a harder time loving them, and And then there are those who try to cause us to stumble, those who try to get us those who have it out for us it's even harder still but again with the love of God spread in our hearts we need to learn to love earlier in this same letter John writes we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers whoever does not love abides in death and he also says that's how we know the difference between those who are children of God and those who are children of the devil. It's love. It's this whole issue of love. And we can fall so terribly short to where we get to the point where our lack of love and then our spike can turn into hatred. And my purpose in picking this passage for our visitation passage was was not to go around to our households and hit people over the head with a lack of love. In fact, it was the actual opposite, to remind our people how much they're loved by God and to remind us how much we are to love one another. And I would say that in many ways as a church, thank God for his grace. We excel in that. But when we come across issues that point to our lack of love, we need to deal with those things. What does Jesus have to say about severe lack of love? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Two different sections here. First, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 22. I guess we need to start in 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Hard things. But Jesus stretches us, and sometimes stretching can be painful, and it does get harder. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Notice that his stressing perfection there has to do with what? With love. Not so easy. We need the grace of God. St. Augustine in the 400s preached a sermon about this love that John is speaking of, and he writes this, Dear friends, don't think that it is a small matter to hate and not to love. Listen to what follows. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. How, if any one of you takes hatred of your brother or sister lightly, will you also take, the lightly, take lightly the murder you commit in your heart? You aren't lifting your hand to kill anyone, yet God readily counts you a murderer. The person you hate is still alive, but you are already judged a killer. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal eternal life abiding in him. Now, the grace of God is at work in us. And even though our emotions towards others can be sorely negative and even murderous at times, we have the opportunity to repent and seek the grace of God. And so I would suggest that if we have any of this, any of this in our hearts, that, that the beginning of a new year is a good time to resolve to settle some of these issues. If we have strife or these deadly feelings towards others, anything outstanding conflict with others, it's a great time to deal with them. And so that's the convicting part, but now there's the encouraging part, that, that we're to imitate Christ in our love. To imitate Christ in our love, our love towards others. 1 John 3.16 reads this way. Doesn't get as much airplay as John 3.16, maybe because this puts something on us. John 3.16 is God's love for us in Christ. But this takes God's love for us, the love of Christ for us, but then puts something on us. And here's what it says, 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's a hard one. That requires sacrifice. It requires carrying one another's burdens. It's something that we need to strive for, to love one another with a Christ-like love. In other words, knowing the love of God for us should shape our perspective on the way that we interact with other people. And if we're at all humbled by the love of God, we'll be loving others from a humble position. So may the love of Christ abound in us, but also remember that, that love isn't just an emotion. It's not just an affection, it is always some form of action. Remember, I quoted F.F. Bruce this morning. He describes this agape love as a consuming passion for the well-being of others, and this love has its wellspring in God. Now, certainly we need to have that affection, that emotion. If we don't have that, we won't do anything. But we need to look for ways to express that love to the people in our lives. And I guess I would exhort our own church, even though I think we do excel in many ways in this, that we can do better by the grace of God. That we would broaden our boundaries of love. I can't tell you exactly how that looks for you. Verses 16 to 18, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is also so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The commandment is to love one another. But the rubber hits the road when it comes to action. Carrying one another's burdens. Serving one another. I don't know, again, how that looks exactly for each one of us, but I know it applies to us. We simply can't love in a way that doesn't have action. And so we pursue these things. We're told that if someone needs something, if somebody has a need and we ignore it, that's not love. In fact, Augustine, who I quoted earlier, makes that Almost his main point in a whole chapter, at least one of his homilies or his sermons makes that. One of his main points is that true love will cause us to take care of the poor. In some, there has to be action. Well, finally, we need to understand that while we strive for love and while we want to see in ourselves our love for God abound more and more and our love for one another abound more and more and to be stretched on our love, to even love our enemies, to have compassion on the lost, that will never reach perfection until heaven. In one sense, we can say that's not okay. That's why we keep working on it. That's why we keep seeking sanctification. But imagine in heaven that we will love God perfectly and we will love one another with perfect purity. Love enjoyed forever. You know 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where Paul is exhorting the Corinthians because they're failing in love and he has to tell them this is what love is. And he goes through the whole list that that we love. It's convicting, it's encouraging. People love to use it for weddings. But you remember at the end he says that love will never fail, that even faith and hope will fail because they won't be necessary in heaven. We won't need faith anymore because our faith will be sight. We won't need hope anymore because our hope will be fulfilled, but heaven will be filled with love. And our love for God will be ever-expanding and ever-growing and ever-deepening. And our love for one another will be perfected. Love increasing and increasing and increasing. Certainly our love for one another will be a lot easier there because there won't be any sin. No sin on our part. No sin on each other's part. Something to look forward to. In fact, Edward's chapter in this book, Charity and Its Fruit on Heaven, is one of the finest. A lot of people want to find a good book on heaven. What is heaven like? And it's mystery upon mystery. And I think we're not supposed to know an awful lot, except for that it's glorious and that it's promised. But Edwards, in this book, describes heaven as a world of charity, a world of love. Something for us to look forward to. But in the meantime, our goal is Christ-like love. Love that will honor God, love that embraces and edifies believers, love that has compassion on those who are ignorant and outside of God's love. And within this body of Christ, we have opportunities to truly love one another. And when we love one another, it makes it clear that God is really here. If we abide in love, God abides in us. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's how Jesus describes it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May Covenant Church be marked by a profound love for God. Christ-like love for one another and sincere, compassionate love for the lost. And may that love and grace abound more and more in the coming year. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have loved us with an undying love that's hard for us to fathom. And we know that that love did require death, in fact. and It was the death of our Savior Jesus. So we are undone by your love, and we pray that your love for us would so impact us that the very depths of our being, the depths of our affections would all have a bent towards you and to loving you more and to serving you and honoring you with every aspect of our lives lord we know that our love for you would never truly be sincere if it didn't also translate into love for our neighbors and our love for one another especially the body of christ so lord we are asking you to help us where we are unloving lord help us break our hearts Help us to love. Those we love, we pray that we would learn to love them more. We, for those that we have conflict with, we pray that we would humble ourselves. For those who might be declared as our enemies, Lord, we pray that we would understand what our Savior Jesus Christ went through. That we might have strength and grace from our great intercessor to deal with those kinds of things. We confess that we are so often weak in our love for you and love for others, but we know that your grace is abounding. We know that your spirit is at work. And so we submit ourselves to you and come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.